home listeners, it's me, Dr. J, your friendly neighborhood internal medicine doc. Hey guys, Dr. Santosh here, pediatric infectious disease doc and sometime researcher. And we are offering an exciting promotion for all of you listening at home right now. Like, we're actually doing the social meds thing, kind of, sort of. We're old. This is exciting for us. If you like it when the two of us travel into your eardrums, then you'll love it even more when we infiltrate your eyeballs in a non-infective way. (laughs) We tried so hard to make this less creepy. (laughs) This is the best we came up with. For the first 500 of you hearing this message, maybe your lucky number 363, you can go to travelmedicinepodcast.com and uh, we made a thing. Dr. Josh made the thing. I edited the thing. And then together we put Produced the thing together. The thing. Yeah. And, yeah. And what That's is the, the thing? word? Producing. Yes. <laughs> and what is the thing? It's Around the World in 80 Plagues, a ebook form of one of our most popular running series. If you've ever wondered what sausages and facelifts have in common, this may also <laughs> be for you. If you're wondering right now, you might have to just go ahead and pause this and go click over to travelmedicinepodcast.com. And all we ask for really is your email. We will never spam you. We will never send you anything from an advertiser or anything on there. We just want to be able to communicate with y'all directly. And as our first mailing, we want to send you guys a copy of our free ebook. Once you've signed up for our mailing list, you'll get exclusive access to we haven't decided yet, but it will be awesome. (laughs) All we know is that it's going to be awesome. Absolutely. So at travelmedicinepodcast.com, once we have your email, you can tell us I will reach out to you, a real person, not a chatbot, and ask you, what do you like about our show? What else can we add on to make it even cooler? How many more plagues can we give you? So before all 500 digital copies are destroyed forever. (laughs) You do want one of these, by the way. It's not quite an NFT, but, you know, oh, yeah, it was one of the first downloaders. So go to TravelMedicinePodcast.com, get your copy of Around the World in 80 Plagues. We don't want to give too much about it away, but those of you who've been following us for a while will recognize all of the weird, gross, disgusting code words that we, you know, weaved in. If we're looking forward to hearing from you, we're looking forward to chatting with you. We're looking forward to being in your ears, eyes, and thoughts. Thank you all from the bottom of our hearts for listening. And, you know, thank you guys who take that extra step to go over to our website and sign up. We promise we will make it worth your while and bring you all of the medicine-y, travel-y goodness that you have grown to love. And let's get on with the show. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a -a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com achieve today. 
Hello guys and girls, the program you are about to hear will be both fun and educational, but it is not a substitute for medical advice. Although we are doctors, we are not your doctors. Hello and welcome to Travel Medicine. As always, I'm your friendly neighborhood internal medicine doc, Dr. J. Hey guys, Dr. Santosh here, pediatric infectious disease doc, and sometime researcher. Santosh, I'm still pretty pumped and riding high from Comic-Con. Oh yeah! As we record this, you have emerged from the cocoon of San Diego, um, having metamorphosed into a beautiful post-con butterfly. And while there are a lot of upsides, great cosplay, wonderful panels, even a few science-oriented ones, there were also a few downsides, a few of which we discussed, but also another disease that you often see in crowded places. And it made me think Mm. we should go back to something we haven't visited in a while. Yes, syphilis. Let's go for it. Come on now. No, no. You're okay. on you're on the right track in that. <laughs> we are going to talk about a disease. Uh, but it's one it's one that you don't mind shouting from the hilltops. And when I say shouting from the hilltops, of course I mean E cola. <laughs> I don't know that I've ever heard E. coli put into a, like a, you know, a cough drop commercial before many different iterations on, you know, how to play with E. coli, but that's a damn good pun. I don't know that I'll ever call it the same again. Like I might walk into my patient's room. <laughs> hey, your child has E. coli. <laughs> Seriously, it's, uh, it's sepsis. It's <laughs> time for... Another one of our favorite long-running segments, mm. Around the World in 80 Plagues. Yay! Oh, man. I'm climbing into my old-timey uh, Jules Verne-like balloon so that we can start our, uh, our 80 Plagues journey. Absolutely. I'm so excited. Before we set this balloon off in the air, I do have to mention this is a bit of a special episode because it's our first plague since we offered our limited edition ebook with a totally different plague. So (laughs) if you're following the Indiana Jones dotted red line, we are progressing through cities and we are going to set our balloon in the same general direction and head to Strasbourg, Austria. Oh, very beautiful. Yeah. So you you tied this all together today because now, you know, we're in the mountains where there are like alpine horns and yodeling. Young scientist who began his medical studies in Würzburg in 1876 and then continued them over several different centers, of which the first was Strasbourg. And I'm talking, of course, about what was his name? It was uh, one of the chipmunks. Alvin. No. Simon. No. Theodore. <laughs> That's the one. Oh, there we go. Yeah, the smart one. Sure, of course. Yeah, I thought yeah. he was the hungry one. No, no, no. That's Simon. Simon wore the glasses. Yeah, the- Theodore. No, no, Theodore no. wore green. Theodore wore green, and he was always uh, sneaking cookies. Real? Um, I thought for sure Theodore wore the glasses, and he was the smart one. Because as we know in a cartoon, if you wear glasses, you're the smart one. I was about to say, Santa, she put no. a lot of pressure on no. people who have already proven defects <laughs> in, at the very least, vision. <laughs> so after completing basic education and six months military service in Strasbourg, Esserick moved to Wurzburg and then continued to Berlin, Munich, and Kiel. And we'll bring Esserick around to you know our actual plague in just a little bit those of you who haven't made the connection yet um you know don't worry we're, we're going to tie it all together those of you who have uh don't give it away Esserick became the first assistant studying under professor carl c.a.j gerhardt 
mm-hmm. who was an internal medicine physician at okay. great hospital name, Julius Bittel. Yeah. <laughs> like an orange Julius, but the hospital version. Yeah. <laughs> so named after, uh, presumably like an emperor, right? Julius Bittel kind of thing. Yeah. Uh-huh. In Wurzburg in 1882. Mm-hmm. Now, Here's where I would expect you'd be able to take over, Santosh, because uh, during almost all of, or at least the first half of 1884, he was mentored in pediatrics and the newly emerging science of your field, bacteriology. Yeah, it's it's not my nearest and dearest field. I definitely in research I use E. coli. Um, I'm a I'm a parasitologist. I study eukaryotic pathogens, but definitely when you put pediatrics and infections together, that's totally me. And we really look up to uh, Dr. Esserich because. Putting all of this together under the tutelage of Gerhardt, we now have a, a field that we really thank these two gentlemen for, which is pediatric infectious diseases. Uh, now, uh, you know, for a very long time, and, and even now still, uh, there's uh, the folks were like, okay, this works in adults. This is what adult physiology and biochemistry and how the infections work in this population. So it should be the same, but just, you know, smaller for, <laughs> for a child. But these folks uh, started really looking into how different children were in terms of how they reacted to infectious diseases, how they should be treated, um, how they convalesced, everything about that pathophysiology. Um, This was a a unique field of study. But you know how they have the saying, you have to get your hands dirty, and you always start in like kind of lowest position Sort of the metaphorical <laughs> mailroom equivalent. Sure. Okay. Uh, is this going to be butt stuff? Are we going <laughs> to? Weird that that's the first place you go. Well, okay. You but know, you're not wrong. Yeah. <laughs> when we were medical students, right? That was one of the first well, things. Well, before you start casually tossing around. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's true. It's, you know, it would be whatever, nine o'clock at night in the, you know, at the end of a rotation or whatever. Have you finished all of your notes? And yeah, we fit. Yes, uh, we're good to go. Okay. I'm going to go. Oh, before you do that, you know, uh, Mr. Jones over in 265 needs a disimpaction. <laughs> and guess who gets to do that? Yeah, yeah. It's a quintessential experience. So, how <laughs> did his mentor, Gerhardt, facilitate his interest in pediatric slash bacteriology? He says, <laughs> I want you to go study with Rudolf Emmerich, well-known scientist. Mm-hmm. Yeah. To Naples. Okay. All expense yeah. paid. Well, some expense paid. Well, <laughs> here's a plane ticket. <laughs> well, no, no plane. Train ticket. Train ticket. <laughs> oh, no trains. Horse yeah. ticket. <laughs> <laughs> sure. Uh huh. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> mm-hmm. And I want you to study the large cholera epidemic. Yeah, yeah. Now, this was a really cool opportunity for him. Emmerich, um, you know, really made advances in cholera, this horrible diarrheal disease. And interestingly enough, Josh, he was also the co-inventor of one of the very first antibiotics before there were true antibiotics, which was pyocyanase. So it was not an easy drug to take. It was horribly toxic and this kind of a thing. But in in you know eminent fashion of you know microbiologists at the time, Emmerich uh, had experimented on himself by injecting cholera <laughs> and <laughs> and proving that cholera transmitted person to person is less virulent than if you take it out of the ground. <laughs> so. Yeah, he he. It was a great mentor for uh, old Theodore. There was Rudolf Emmerich. <laughs> so uh, he Theodore quickly became an expert at observing vibrio cholera in fecal samples from affected individuals, many of who were children. Uh, he yes. literally had to dig through child poop 
to make a name for himself. But this was he didn't limit himself to just the end results of the intestinal tract. Okay. <laughs> All right. He moved to Munich uh, after two years to obtain, okay. and you'll appreciate this, the name of the postdoctoral qualification you get mm-hmm. at German universities is called his habilitation, insinuating yeah. that at some point he may need to be rehabilitated. <laughs> okay. Um, so I, I guess the root is the same, right? Rehabilitation means that you have lost some ability and you're getting it back in this case you are being given ability it's a special <laughs> ability of mine uh, yeah. <laughs> exactly so you're you're going from you know your your doctoral studies to moving up to like a you know a master of your craft kind of a thing um i i didn't know it was called that that's awesome we should use that all the time can you imagine being handed your diploma? Consider yourself habilitated. Habilitated. <laughs> Weird look. And it's like, move on. Next. <laughs> anyway, his research was focused on defining all the normal flora of the infant intestinal tract, as okay. well as its changes immediately after birth. Okay. Yes. Then, in order to do that, he had to assess the role of bacteria in digestion and physiology. Oh, sure. Yeah. And once you've done that, then you relate it to pathologic conditions. Got it, got it. Okay, so way back before we used terms like microbiome, he was defining what would be fairly normal, I guess the normal healthy microbiome of a you know, tiny Austrian person, which is not the same as, you know, everybody the world around. Uh, intestinal microflora can be quite diverse, but he was basically making a, a normalization. And this would have been really difficult, Josh. Modern culture methods already, you know, we can sample a decent amount of stool, but these folks were you know, they were chemists and biochemists. They were starting from scratch, just trying to figure out how to properly culture things. And he was missing a whole host of other bacteria that hadn't been discovered yet and these kind of things. But he was doing his very best to show the most prominent culturable bacteria that would come out of healthy stool. Now, the next part, I will admit, comes from Wikipedia, but it made me laugh and it's okay. very factual and serious. So <laughs> okay. during yeah. his studies, he learned some very new basic techniques of pure culture and bacterial characterization from uh-huh. Wilhelm Frobenius, a physician who had learned bacteriology from Robert Cook during uh-huh. three short visits to Cook's laboratory in Berlin. <laughs> Cook's uh-huh. test kitchen, if you will. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but the next sentence makes all the difference. Okay. Frobenius made no other contributions to science. Oh, it's so sad. He existed oh. as far as as far as Wikipedia is concerned. Sure. He existed to pass on this technique to Escherich, who could make the real discoveries, like a one-trick Obi-Wan Kenobi. Oh, <laughs> that's so sad. So there were very few studies that, at least to this point, involved studying infant stool. Yeah. Uh, Especially using these new bacterial methods that, you know, while they're old hat for you, were cutting edge at the time. And he knew of only one study that did involve infant samples by a gentleman named Julius Uffelman. Uffelman, yes. (laughs) So... Of course, you can imagine how popular he'd be when he's thrusting his hands at people. Look at this baby poop. Here, look. Can't you see? It's infected. It's yeah. got things crawling all over it. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, life of the party, this guy. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> so I, I think some of the coolest discoveries come from some of these folks who have these very niche interests. <laughs> and you're still picturing this as a Chipmunks episode, aren't you? A hundred and thousand percent. Yeah, absolutely. So, I'm waiting for Dave to show up. <laughs> so Escherich <laughs> demonstrated, because of course he, he thought about what the problem was with this approach, and demonstrated that meconium is sterile 
and that intestinal colonization is from the environment, including breast milk, within the first three to 24 hours after birth. So he's like, look, this is not infectious. It's just sterile. And this bacteria, totally no risk to you. Still not getting a ton of party invitations. No, absolutely. Uh, for those who don't have kids or you're not in pediatrics or you don't deal with poop on a regular basis. Santosh, everybody deals with poop on a regular yeah, basis. <laughs> if you're not dealing with newborn poop, how about that? So <laughs> meconium, uh, you're, you're uh, you know, fetus and then, you know, you're growing in uh, the, the uterus like that. You're swallowing amniotic fluid, which is largely sterile. We now know from, you know, deep sequencing, you know, next generation sequencing, all that fun stuff that there is actually, you know, bacteria in there, but you're swallowing the amniotic fluid and then shedding a little bit of the intestinal lining. And that's just happening all the time up until you take, you know, your first breath and you're out of there. But there's a, you know, there's a mass of this stuff and it is black and tarry interestingly doesn't smell right because it's it's sterile and this black tarry first poop is called meconium and you're absolutely right until the baby goes through the birth canal because there there is uh, vaginal flora which colonizes the skin and the oral tract and the baby swallows some of that but then you know and then baby drinks from something, either formula or breast or whatever it is. And then the environmental bacteria gets in and the microbiome, the baby microbiome becomes established. Uh, and yeah, so that comparison was really important. But what that meant was that uh, uh, Uffelman had to sit there and wait for a, a newborn to have their first poo. <laughs> this, this is back in the day when it was probably like he had to do a home invasion or two, Josh. <laughs> even, even walking down the hospital or just poking your head around the corner. Hey, yeah. what you yeah. doing there? <laughs> you, uh, is it he had a poop? Is uh, you you need that? I mean, I mean, if you're, you're if you're you not going to keep it, I can. You <laughs> know, this may be why Germany has, shall we say, a reputation. <laughs> Apologies to any of our German listeners. Oh no, that's not offensive at all. <laughs> Absolutely not. <laughs> no, th- but this is really important data. You know, so, talk about. All right. After demonstrating it was sterile and that it's all from the environment. Yes, the microbiome. Still working to improve his profile. He's like, maybe they just don't understand how many there are. He isolated 19 different bacteria. That's a lot for one man to discover and and add to the infectious Pokedex. Now, absolutely. And, and, you know, these are a lot of them are going to be brand new because people aren't going around poking around in a lot of poop yet. Um, especially infant poop. And that very, very new bacteria, which comes from, you know, if they're breastfeeding um, mom's nipple, the natural flora that's in the the milk itself. Or the next part of the story. Yeah. Uh, remember how we said he had only found one study by Julius Uffelman. Uffelman. Yes, yes. Well, with 19 bacteria, he beat the previous record set by Uffelman of two. Oh, take that, Uffelman. Just completely destroyed. So to keep <laughs> things fair, we're just going to mention two that he discovered. Sure. Yes. One was Bacterium lactis aerogenes, nowadays known as Klebsiella pneumonia. Yeah, absolutely. And the other was Bacterium coli commune, the common colon bacillus, yeah. which now is Escheria coli. Yeah, yeah, actually named after him. So it's it sounds funny to say, uh, but I I know you're going to be saying this as you go to sleep tonight. It's Escherichia. So it's it's from Eseric, right? So it's Escherichia coli. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But he he wasn't an arrogant person. He didn't named it after himself. He called it bacterium. And the reason he said bacterium coli commune because in Western Europe, and now in modern industrialized countries, uh, especially in the Western Hemisphere and in Europe, this is the most common bacteria that you're going to get when you take out some stool 
spin it down and then spread it out on a plate. Um, it, it fully dominates um, the, uh, the other bacteria in terms of sheer numbers. We now know, Josh, it's, they're certainly not the most common because the most common bacteria that are in there, the, the most abundant, you actually couldn't culture in Escherich's day because they didn't have the techniques. He lectured, in, <laughs> he lectured in Munich with his 177-page postdoctoral thesis Whoa. as a monograph <laughs> entitled The Intestinal Bacteria of the Infant and Their Relation to the Physiology of Digestion. Awesome. And he noted that the bacterius coli was more likely to be an intestinal infection in infants and frequently could be isolated non-infectious from or frequently could be isolated from urine samples from young girls who were more likely to have UTIs and recognizing right. the significance of UTIs as a place to look for bacteria yeah so this was so cool found the bacteria found out that you know it's coming from the environment and then becomes enriched in the gut and then says hey when it's in the intestine and person is healthy. This is a important bacteria. It helps participate in digestion and breaking down food. If it gets out of there and goes to a place where it's not supposed to go, i.e. the urinary tract, it'll cause pathology. It'll cause disease. Same bug, two different sides of the coin. So essentially, we've moved from him being Theodore of the chipmunks yeah. <laughs> to Hamilton of Bavaria. Ooh, there's like a million bugs he hasn't seen. But just you wait. But just you wait. And with that, we'll take a brief break. Yeah. Tell you what. <laughs> yeah. If you're not in the middle of driving and listening to us, in which case, hey, thanks. Uh, <laughs> but go to travelmedicinepodcast.com and sign up for our mailing list, and you'll get sent another plague direct to you. There's only... We're, we're actually running out of copies, which is kind of exciting. Oh, sweet. Uh, so get it before, get it while the getting's good. And uh, <laughs> we'll see you in a couple moments. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. And we're back. So why did Escherich always discover or science like he's running out of time. Yeah. Well, <laughs> I love it. Yeah. He pioneered the use of x-rays as a diagnostic tool in children. Oh, okay. Uh, so a, a little bit of a good thing, bad thing here, because, you know, at the time, you know, Rentgen also of German descent over here, it's, you know, x-rays were discovered, but probably they were a little overused. So, he was a teacher, so who championed the importance of prevention. Mm -hmm. So he really focused on education, both of his pupils, his colleagues, his community, and described idiopathic infantile tetany. Oh, in, okay, yes. Uh, and he also discovered what was later named, or initially named, Escherich's reflex, which you now know as the snout reflex. Yeah, so this is what we have as little babies when we get close to the breast or the nipple in order to initiate feeding, sucking, um, there's a reflex where, you know, if you tap the lips 
um, they they pucker. They you know you you pout a little bit in anticipation of you know being able to get your meal. Um, so this happens in the little babies. Very very important. And unfortunately, Josh, it is what's called a primordial reflex. It does show up when there are certain cortical strokes. Uh, which happen because it becomes, you know, you become disinhibited and uh, these primordial reflexes come out um, where, you know, as adults, they should be extinguished. Well, working with radiation and having a reflex named after you is enough to gain the notice of the ruling parties. And so he was named court counselor by Emperor Franz Joseph. And you know how he was habilitated? Well, The court counselor position name was Hofrat. So he was a habilitated Hofrat. <laughs> if if uh, the emperor didn't He's, introduce him... He ain't him. nothing. He ain't nothing but a Hoochie Mama. A <laughs> Hofrat. Hofrat. Habilitated Hoochie Mama. <laughs> oh, gosh. I'm sure uh, Emperor Joseph probably introduced him that way all the time. Like when he, you know, introduced the court. <laughs> in, case. in 1919, they first suggested naming the bacteria after him as Isherichia Shishia coli. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so you say Aseric or Aserish, and then you put the E on the end. Aserichia. So maraschino cherry was was not officially sanctioned as the name until 1958. Right. This is after, I think it was, was it after he had passed away? Yes. Okay. Gotcha. Gotcha. All right. So um, I can't think of a, a higher honor. One of the most important parts of our microbiome named after old Theodore Esserich. I, I enjoy that we've had this conversation a bunch. What would you rather have named after you? A disease yeah, yeah. Yes. or a treatment? Uh, <laughs> I see. I, I get to pick a different one because I am infectious disease. I, I would pick a, a microbe. Absolutely. Because then it can be, you know, it can be nice. It can be naughty depending on what it does. And if it's a helpful microbe, all the better. But it doesn't have to be so black and white. Well, now that we've talked about the discoverer, let's jump to the bug itself and start with uh santosh in case anyone on earth is unfamiliar yeah perhaps they recently acquired their microbiome uh, sure <laughs> and, you- and also listening to <laughs> they, <laughs> they got their microbiome and they're immediately listening to podcasts sure sure yeah why don't you tell us what can you expect on average and on and off average with e coli so uh, in terms of, you know, just being a part of your, uh, your microbiome, it'll hang out. If you have it in balance with the rest of the bacteria in your gut. So for the Western world, Firmicutes, um, there are other bacillus species. Um, there should be a low amount of the clostridia, right? Like C. diff and those kind of things. But if it's all sitting in balance, then you should have a nice uh, regular stool. Uh, not a lot of bloating, uh, no intestinal pains or upset and that kind of thing. Josh, uh, your very, very favorite, the Bristol stool scale. Uh, you should you should sit comfortably at a Bristol, uh, you know, four to five, uh, maybe occasionally a six. But, uh, you know, it should all be kind of hunky-dory, you know, this kind of a thing. And, you know, if it's all sitting there like that, no problem at all. Now, if it gets, you know, for instance, a, a, a young girl, because the distance from the gastrointestinal tract over to the urethra is so short and the urethra is very short and, you know, any kind of small complication, they can, the C. coli can get into the bladder, it can cause a urinary tract infection. In vulnerable people, it can get into the bloodstream, such as those folks who, you know, who are getting cancer chemotherapy and you can get bacteremia and and our little babies because they're colonized, but their immune system isn't super strong yet. A small percentage, very rarely, thank 
thankfully. Um, this E. coli will get into the bloodstream and sometimes even into the meninges and cause sepsis or meningitis or these kind of things. So we, it's a big deal in neonatal medicine is E. coli. And then if now, E. coli wants to stay in the gut, but you know it, it gets some bad plasmids, right? Some toxins and things like that, then it can give you the runs. It can cause a bad gastroenteritis, uh, and that you know that's what we're familiar with a lot of the time. One of the most common causes of the old traveler's diarrhea. Good old ETEC. Yeah. Now, when it's part of the microbiome, it's just part it normally is in a biofilm with a bunch of yes. other species kind of like yeah, the yeah. blob or the yeah. river of glowing sewage big... and or the river of glowing sewage and ghostbusters yeah like a sheet of slime just like you know <laughs> and your personally coli that's right you home listener typically <laughs> typically includes a set of long-term residential squatters Mm -hmm. yep. As well as short-term transients that vary depending on what you're eating, what your general health is, and what antibiotics you've been exposed to recently and in your lifetime. So it's it's shed pretty often. They're, the ones hanging in there are pretty tenacious. Yeah, yeah. So just like you said, they're not all of the E. coli are the same. So there's going to be the ones that are uh, you know, residential, they have a, a physiology to the cell, which is a little bit more uh, amoeboid. They're not quite as motile, right? Moving around and that kind of a thing. And they help you digest. And then, you know, say you, you know, you have some vegetables or something like that. And, and you know, you eat that and you didn't maybe wash them all that well. Well, now you, you can get a different E. coli. Uh, hanging out on there. And if it's transient like that and it's not disease causing, no big deal. But if it's, for instance, that that just like you said, Josh, that shigatoxin producing E. coli, then it could imbalance everything, cause problems. Now, it has to be pretty adaptable because not only does it live inside us, it can be found in pretty much every outside regional environment, <laughs> under much harsher conditions. And yes. in order to do that, it had to form a diverse collective, a cabal, six, <laughs> a sinister six kind of pathotypes that are associated with diarrhea. <laughs> and it's ETEC, which uh -huh. is enterotoxigenic. Then there's um, enteropathogenic, EPEC, enteroaggregative, yak, yeah. <laughs> enteroinvasive. Mm -hmm. Yike. Yeah, Yike, yeah. <laughs> and diffusely adherent. Dick. <laughs> Go ahead, Santos. Read the read just the abbreviations down. Yeah. <laughs> I don't want so to. So we can all appreciate who named these. <laughs> <laughs> I don't want to. <laughs> now the most dangerous of these was not mentioned, uh, and that's the E157H7. Yeah, which I, is we call it O158057H7. Uh, but got, just in case, yeah. but we didn't want to lose out on that, you know, alliterative nature. So yeah. it's also known as hemorrhagic. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, this is the one that has uh, you know, Aside from other virulence factors, which makes it quite tenacious, um, you know, it's picked up, uh, you know, the plasmid with the shiga toxin on it. And, you know, this is the one that can cause a horrible dysentery, right? Bloody diarrhea if it gets in. And the, in children, right, this is very much a pediatric disease. Uh, after the disease has gone through, the toxin seems to cause a almost like an autoimmune type of disorder afterwards called a hemolytic uremic syndrome, uh, where your kidneys shut down and then you actually lose your platelets and, and hemolysis happens also that the, the red blood cells burst. And it can be quite serious, although many children, you know, kind of get through it. Um, we don't have any good treatments for it. Um, it, but it seems to be most of the time, thankfully, uh, self-limiting. But yeah, that toxin that it acquired, it does wretched things to you. And Josh, I'm very sorry to say that we humans bred this bacteria by giving our livestock 
excess antibiotics. That brings up the point that it can easily contaminate human food supplies mm-hmm. uh, because cattle don't actually suffer from the disease. It's asymptomatic in them. Yeah. Um, now, it's not in any other meat they're safe to eat, but it can be transferred via fecal contamination in the butchering and packaging process, which is why, you know. Yeah. Or they or they poop in the field and the runoff uh, that goes over the vegetables, for instance. Um, so we've had it from uh, spinach and ready to eat salads, the ones you get in the, the package. And if you don't wash those off properly before they get packaged and then sometimes even after they get packaged, uh, you know, bean sprouts and spinach and stuff that you tend to eat fresh like that without cooking it. Yeah, you can catch it that way too. So the time between ingesting some version of E. coli and feeling sick is what we call the incubation period. And that's normally three to four days after exposure or within being exposed. But it could be as long as 10, as short as hours. Is that right, Santosh? Yeah, it depends on whether it's a, a toxigenic strain. Toxins tend to act very, very quickly. And, you know, you just get hit. Boom, okay. So usually when I'm doing my medical history for a child and we find a, a pathogenic E. coli and we try to trace it, where did it come from, especially if we're worried about an outbreak, is we'll trace back about a week and a half and say, hey, what did you eat? What did you know your parents eat? This kind of a thing. And oftentimes somewhere in there, you can say, oh, kid came down with this diarrhea or whatever it was, but you know, dad was also sick or mom was also sick or brother or sister or something like that. And you say, oh, what was the common food? And almost always, Josh, we'll find that somewhere four or five days back. But it's not always easy because you're right, that window can be a little bit broad. And if the child is the only one who's sick, then it's pretty hard to sometimes, you know, trace down what exactly was the the culprit. Come on, Marty, we got to go back. To the pooper. To the pooper. <laughs> yeah, it would have been a whole different movie, like a completely different. But no, that's that's what I do. I, I go back in time when I take my history and that kind of a thing. Uh, I like to think of myself more of like a Hercule Poirot rather than a, uh, you know, a uh, Doc Brown. But, you know, you know go, what? Go. So did Escherich. Yeah, he did. He was he was a good epidemiologist, actually. He was. So for those of you worried, if your diarrhea lasts more than three days or you have high fevers, blood in the stool, or so much vomiting you can't keep any food or liquids down, yeah, uh, all good indications you should probably at the very least see an urgent care and likely may need admission to a hospital. Yes. And... Honestly, if you have an intact immune system, you've all otherwise been a healthy person, the chances are you're going to be all right. And we just need to support your system until you're able to clear this out by getting you IV fluids and this kind of a thing. But yes, there can certainly be bad complications. And if you get to us sooner rather than later, we can help you out. Now that we've terrified everybody with the dangers <laughs> of E. coli. Yeah, yeah. Let's... Let's give it some positives. And in recent years, it's been used to make antibiotics, Uh to produce cancer-fighting drugs, and even manufacture insulin, all because of the same plasmids that you told us so much about earlier. Yeah. E. coli has a beautiful propensity to grab onto these small circular pieces of DNA. Um, They also do, um, they, they pass them to each other, Josh, with these like little extensions of cytoplasm called a conjugation tube. <laughs> Pass the DNA back and forth. But because they have a, uh, you know, an, an affinity to pick up genetic material and just basically use it, uh, you know, think of them as uh, if you're a Star Wars fan, like a Jawa, like, you know, they'll just find scraps and put them together and, and do whatever they want. But you can exploit that 
gather up some E. coli and say, hey, uh, E. coli, I'm going to mutate you in a particular way so that, you know, you're less harmful and that um, we can control how you grow and what nutrients you need and what you're resistant to and not resistant to so I can select you out. Okay. And then I'm going to feed you this plasmid and you just make a ton of it for me and you grow and you multiply nice and strong and I'll give you some sugar and protein to work with. And Josh, they'll make a beautiful... And isn't that of- all any of us really want? <laughs> just some sugar and protein. And protein and some <laughs> nucleic acids and you assemble lots of plasmids for me. So now I have a material to work well, with. It- or, or I can induce you a little bit to take that plasmid material and make the protein that I want. Uh, you know, like an antigen or insulin. You know, I'll, in, hey, yeah. I'll induce you. Like, <laughs> like, yeah. Researchers help to improve cancer drug Taxol. Uh, oh yeah. Now, before the only source for the active ingredient in Taxol yes. was from the Pacific yew tree, and it U-tree? required yew tree. Me tree? No, I yeah, person. Me- <laughs> so the pacific all right costello uh <laughs> you y-e-w tree, yeah <laughs> and it required two to four fully grown trees for each patient like those cartoons where it's whittled down to toothpicks yeah yeah <laughs> it's horrible yeah or the incredibly long and time-consuming process of culturing new cells in the lab because you know they're still tree cells yes yeah yeah but once you incorporate it into E. coli, you can churn those out very fast, which means you can get taxol more frequently or more accessibly yes. and ultimately cheaper, again, relatively speaking. Uh, now, not only has it been used to help produce them, E. coli nowadays is being used to replace those kinds of medications entirely. As early as 2006, E. coli was taught to recognize cancer cells or high levels of cancer cells as an environmental change. Mm-hmm. So a laser trigger, essentially, which yeah. would then prompt the bacteria to invade them. So this was done at the University of California. Now, this is just a mechanism for getting into cancer cells. Uh, right. It does not destroy them. Okay. Yeah. Um, but it does give you a very effective delivery system. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. If they, If you kind of program the E. coli to be enticed by the malignant cells and leave your healthy cells alone, then yeah, now you just load them up with whatever payload you want to and you send them hunting. Of course, I think I'm still straying too close to the infectious theme. It's still attacking. Doesn't E. coli deserve to explore other alternatives? Well, yeah. <laughs> I mean, we talked about being a gene factory or a protein factory, but yeah, tell me. But what about what about the wanted... one who went to liberal arts college, Santos? <laughs> he disappointed his parents. <laughs> <laughs> that one horribly. <laughs> sorry, sorry. The Indian due, just came out. <laughs> due to fast reproduction and what gen- are you going to do with art. <laughs> are you going to <laughs> so e coli bacteria are frequently used in microbial art which is oh, yeah. exactly what it sounds like microbe <laughs> colonies grown to form pictures just by painting a petri dish with e coli and letting it grow like you know a chia pet that can cause horrible diarrhea yeah <laughs> but so you can also use, just like we talked about, many different strains of E. coli and stuff, and you can give them plasmids where they'll make, you know, glowing fluorescent protein, you know, GFP, green fluorescent protein, and all this kind of thing. So you can make different colors, Josh, and all this kind of cool stuff. We've got our industry, our medicine, yeah, our artist. Mm-hmm. Um, what other kinds of E. coli could there be? Well, over at Michigan State University, researchers have been observing the evolution of 12 isolated flasks for over 20 years. Yeah. That's it. They just walk into work each day, look at <laughs> one of 
one of 12 test tubes, all of which are filled with E. coli. This sounds like an episode of The Twilight Zone or The Outer Limits. <laughs> well, there is more to it than that. They, you know, sequence out the genome. They look for what the mutations are and everything. But basically... Oh, I'm sorry. There's more to it than that. In 2010, they hit yeah. 50,000 gen- generations. And yeah. by then, one colony had already learned how to use citric acid as a carbon source when deprived of oxygen. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, these are E. coli by and large is aerobic, right? It it uses oxygen as its uh, an, an engine, the same way that we do in order to produce energy, ATP. But yeah, th- this one, you know, it gone and gone and gone and flask number whatever, you know, they got enough mutations in this kind of a thing that the molecular biology shifted and said, okay, well, if oxygen's around, I'll use it. But oh, you're going to try and choke me? Boom, vitamin C. And then break this down and make some ATP out of that. That's awesome. That is so cool. This, Josh, this one is watching evolution in action in, in real time. And it's amazing. Like a couple millennium from now, the first E. coli vaguely yeah. shaped blob is going to burst out of the tube. Yeah. And I don't know, join Starfleet. Yeah, absolutely. Oh, yeah, yeah. It's a beautiful closure. (laughs) And I think an excellent place to call this episode. So that's it for this week. We are down to our last month before we hit our season finale. There are only a few of the ebooks left. There are only a few of the 80 Plagues ebooks left. So sign up. It's free. All you have to do. is give us your email so we can send it to you. As always, we'd love to hear your comments, questions, and feedback. If you'd like to support us spiritually, emotionally, or financially, links to do that are in the show notes, along with links for further reading. This show is produced by me with a lot of help from Dr. Santosh and friends. Our theme music is composed by Rachel Leisure. And uh, until next time, keep a song in your heart, soap on your hands, a shot in your arm, no, seriously, wash your hands. You don't want this stuff on them. <laughs> yeah, especially before you eat. Yeah, before you touch anything, then spin a globe, pick a place <laughs> to go, and after wash you do that, again. and after that, happy travels. Bye, everybody. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.